Uh, we're, in a, we're in a series called Called, and, and the first and foremost primary calling we'll ever receive is to know God and to love Him and for Him to love us, first and foremost. And the, yeah, the interesting thing about uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 22 is that uh, many are called, but few are chosen. And then Joel was talking about this scripture saying, what's actually going on here is that everyone is called but few actually choose it. Everyone is called. God's calling everyone. He's leaving voicemails. Maybe you're here this morning and he's left you quite a few voicemails. He's just still waiting for you to pick up. Everyone is called, but few choose it. And the other thing that's really important in the series is that we understand the nature of the being who is calling. And it's interesting because I think what happens often is that we can relate to Jesus as friend or God as father. But what's really important in this called series is that we actually give attention to the fact that God is king. He's king of kings and lord of lords and he's powerful and he's, he's actually to be feared in the truest sense of that word. And that every time, and most times that God turned up, it was like, hey, don't be afraid, I'm with you. But he had to say, don't be afraid, because the first response was often fear. And so the nature of the being that is calling is important because how we posture ourselves in relation to that being will be determined on how we see or sense or uh, interpret that being's nature to be. Does that make sense? Uh, I, I remember when I was growing up, we, we had phones that were attached to the wall. <laughs> and the receiver was attached to the phone. There's, you see, you could only walk so far, but also the thing about these phones is that you couldn't leave a voicemail on them. And so if someone was going to call, you had to be there to answer it at the right time. And, you know, like, I, I, I remember, especially when my grandmother would ring, my mum would say, hey, she's going to be calling at 8 p.m. tonight. Make sure you answer the phone. And, uh, you know, I could be fighting and beating up my brothers or they'd be beating me up. And, and, you know, you'd just be like giving them the hardest time. And then Grandma could be like, hi, Grandma. <laughs> oh, yeah, Grandma. Grandma had all the goodies, eh, Grandma? You know, who, who's calling really matters because it determines our posture and the way that we answer that call. The, the title for this morning, if you're looking for titles, is Confirm... The call. Confirm the call. If, if everyone's been called, if we've all been called by God and, and the first thing is to know Him, how do we actually know what it looks like to confirm the call that God is making to us? What does it look like for us to actually answer that call? What, what, what do we do about this? Uh, as a pastor, we quite often get to go to weddings. And uh, weddings are interesting, right? Because there's a lot of pressure on the bride and groom to work out who to invite or not to invite. Like there's layers of connectivity. And uh, as pastors, we often find ourselves probably in the wider layer at times. You know, like we, we, we get invited, but it's because you're the pastor, not necessarily. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> love getting invited. But anyway, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Kirsten and I were off to this wedding. And, uh, you know, you, sometimes you get invited to the ceremony, but not to the reception. 
or you get the watered-down version where you get to the ceremony, and then you get invited to the dance afterward. Uh, anyway, we, we went to the uh, ceremony, and then that was great. But then I had this sinking feeling of like whether Kirsten or I had actually RSVP'd to this wedding. And so we went to the ceremony, and then we uh, drove to the reception. And I was like, babe, I'm not sure if I RSVP'd to this wedding, you know, to the, to the reception. And Kirsten was like, I can't remember either. Anyway, we get there, and then I don't know if you do this, but when you arrive at the wedding, you immediately try and find your name. There's a sense of urgency to this. Uh, anyway, I remember just walking around, and I could not find our names. And like literally 10 minutes in, I walk over to Kirsten, I'm like, hey, babe, it's not too late for us to leave. Like, we can get out of here. And, uh, and she was like, no, just keep looking a little bit longer because the bride and groom haven't arrived yet. And, 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 and it was, it's a terrible feeling, not knowing whether your name, and we found our name tags, they've been handwritten. No, no. Uh, we, we were a lot more important to them than we realized. We were closer to the, to the bridal table. Anyway, uh, it's important, I think, to realize that in any invitation, in any calling, there's actually things that we need to do to respond to the call. So when we go to the wedding, we don't just need to RSVP to the call, but we need to, you know, you dress appropriately. You buy a gift. You might be praying for the bride and groom. There's things that we do to respond to the invitation that we have received. And just like responding to the invitation to go to a wedding, there's things that God actually wants for us to confirm, to respond to the invitation that he's given us. Second Peter, not the, not the second Peter, the second letter that Peter wrote. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. The apostle Peter, the, the impetuous Peter, the, the Peter that would open his mouth only for one foot to be traded for the other. The, the denying Peter, the coward Peter, turns courageous. The Peter that would preach and 5,000 men would repent. It's amazing how God can turn the greatest coward into the most courageous person. Perhaps they're struggling with your confidence today. Uh, Peter, Second Peter, he's writing to the church in Asia Minor, and he and he's writing his very last address. It's said to be the the last period of time before he's about to be crucified by the Emperor Nero. And uh, I don't know about you, but having been at the deathbed of some people close to me, they don't waste their words. What they say really matters. And so what Peter is saying here in Second Peter before he's about to be crucified really matters. It really matters. And, it's, and we catch up with him, and in verse 3 it says, By his divine power, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That's good news. We have received all of this by coming to know him. That's what we were just talking about. The one who called us to himself 
by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. It's for his glory. It's for him. It's not for us. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Precious promises, precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Promises such as you are adopted sons and daughters with an eternal inheritance. To share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Who knows that we all have human desires which actually corrupt us and send us down the wrong path. In view of all this, make every effort, man, that's strong language, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, get this, get this. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. And in other translations, it says to confirm your calling and election. Do these things, practice these things, do these things, and you will never fall away then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the challenge. Is that it is possible to fall away. It is possible to respond to the call, to start walking out your faith, but it is possible to fall away. A number of years ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who had decided that he was no longer going to follow the call of God on his life. And I remember begging him. I was like, no, please, no, no. And praying and begging and begging. Don't, don't make this decision. Don't, don't walk away from the call of God on your life. But he had made so many decisions in the private He'd already been falling away in the private that had ultimately resulted in a decision in the public that meant that he fell away in his calling. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who loved God and loved people. I think about him and I think, man, if it's possible for him to fall away, then man, is it possible for me too? that this man would choose to make this decision to walk away from his call because of the myriad of decisions he had made in the private that had ultimately resulted in the falling away in the public. It's possible for all of us to fall away. But I believe many of those decisions are actually made in the private. Time and time and time again, over a period of time, that would ultimately result in the falling in the public. And I just want to clarify that as well, is that, hey, there's, 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 there's two different types of falling. Like there's the one where you fall, and then there's one where you've fallen away. It's sort of like being unconscious or actually being dead. You know, it's like fainting or being dead. That ultimately all of us, we all will fall at different times. But 
what we need to be aware of and what Peter is saying here is that it's actually possible for us to fall completely away from the call that God has put on our lives. The second thing, and I think maybe more common to, to more of us, is that it's actually possible for us to be unproductive in our, in our faith. Here's the thing. We are not actually called to be inactive in our faith, to be procrastinators in our faith. I think, I think at times we can almost be a little fatalistic in our faith, like, God, you've got it. You're in control. It doesn't actually require much of me to partake in what you've got for me and what you're trying to do on this planet Earth. I think what can happen with us is that we can say, hey, I'm saved. I just need to take it easy and make life as comfortable as possible while I wait to get to heaven. And I think what this can look like and something that we could probably examine is how am I spending my time? How am I spending my money? How distracted am I by the worries of this world? Am I so busy living life that we haven't taken the time to... to investigate and to understand how God actually wants me to live it. I think what happens is that we can become more hypocritical than hopeful. It's like what Katie prayed before, we can become more tired than energized by God activity or effort. We can become more forlorn than forgiven. Our faith can feel more like duty than delight, more boring than beauty, more excuse than execution, more cares than care, more distracted than determined, we just become a little meh in our faith. But here's the thing. Our faith wasn't supposed to look like faith alone. It actually looks like intention and going about things that would enable God to truly bring us fully alive. Thanks, Steve. Do you know a mule can't reproduce? Yeah, doesn't have enough chromosomes. We can become a little mulish in our faith. <laughs> I'm also acutely aware that, you know, like we can become a little reactive when uh, Hayden stands up and says, hey, that sounds a little bit like, you know, work-based. That sounds a little bit strivy, a little bit forced. I'll be honest and say, you know, it's like, it can, it can feel a little bit like, well, Hayden, you know, it's grace. You know, great, God's love for me. It's, it's, it's His kindness that leads me to repentance. It's, 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 all, it's all Him. I, I don't have to worry about this, right? Like, it's all Him. But, but I want to say today, those two things are not at opposite ends of the spectrum. Our effort, our intention, our diligence and faith are not supposed to be played out in different parts of our lives, compartmentalized. And I think what can happen is that because we become so accustomed to earning in our life, earning rewards, earning promotions, earning, we can relate the effort in the earning to earning in our faith. That was good. That was good. Uh, write that down. I don't know if I say that again. <laughs> we become so accustomed to earning in our life that we can relate that effort to the effort and earning in our faith. But it's not supposed to be like that. We have effort because of what He has done. We have diligence because of how He has loved us. We, we, we focus on the task at hand. We commit to being His plan, what He has for us because of 
knowing Him. He's not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. We don't do it so that we will receive something. We do it because of what He's done for us. Uh, It's interesting because Peter says, do these things. In other translations, it says, practice these things. Who knows that when you practice something new or you're becoming accustomed to something, it can be really awkward. You know, like, I, I don't know if you've lost your dominant hand and being able to do something or dominant foot and then you try to do it with the other hand. You know, it's like a ball. You know, you're used to throwing with your right hand. You throw it with your left hand. It can look quite... I won't say any of those things, you know. <laughs> it can look awkward, right? Like, it can take a lot of time to become good at practice, at doing something that you're accustomed to doing it with the other hand or other foot. And I want to say this this morning, that there's actually that some of these things that Peter's listed we actually need to put them into practice. We need to practice them. Uh, Kirsten and I, we lived in Italy for a number of years. And man, it was, a, it was a beautiful, wonderful, lovely place. Great wine, great coffee, all those things. But man, it was frustrating. For the longest time, I would walk to the wrong side of the car to drive it. You know, and I'd, I'd, I'd pull out into the road and drive on the wrong side of the road. and I, I, I struggled with the language and I struggled with some of the customs and, and how to go about things. But I remember about three years in, I was driving down the road. We were living just outside of Rome at the time. I was driving down the road. I pulled over. I put on my hazard lights. I ran into the tobacconist, had a shot of coffee, made some small talk. Ciao, bella. Come stai? Tutto bene? Oh, ciao, bella. Grazie, grazie, grazie. Un caffè, un altro, un altro. Had coffee and then ran back out to the car. And the car was parked illegally with the hazard lights and jumped in my car and drove off. And I did it all without even thinking about it. I'm free. But it takes practice to get to that place of freedom where it's just a natural overflow or outflow of our lives in these things. Uh, Faith is the baseline. It's the beginning, not the end. It's the entry level. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. Martin Luther King says it well. He says, Faith is taking the first step when you don't see the whole staircase. We're to supplement our faith with seven things. Moral excellence, just a little bit on each. Moral excellence means the pursuit of the moral will of God in every area of life. And I just want to say this this morning. And here it is, that the Christian workers, curate church in every sphere, must surpass others. And moral excellence. We work from a higher motive. What we do is a constant testament of our faith. It is done in God's sight and in the confidence that in every act, it is possible to give Him glory. Not for the approval of people, but of God, because we are approved of. We attest to that through our moral excellence. Knowledge. We're called to know about God and know Him through the Scriptures. Theology, the study of God's Word, is actually thinking about God. That's what the literal translation means. And it's with this that we are to know God through the Scripture. But, but just on that, we can often, I think, with knowledge, put us in a place of power over someone else. 
It's never supposed to be that as we study the Word. It's actually about to bring us closer and closer to Christ. And, and, and the more we know about God, the more we know about His Scriptures, it should actually make us more humble. Because as the more that we know, the less we realize we actually know. Self-control. Having the ability to continue on the path of intention and respond to God in a godly way. I heard a really interesting story about Sir Edmund Hillary recently. He conquered Mount Everest. He knocked the something off. He knocked that. He knocked it off. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting hearing about his level of self-control because he was at base camp in Nepal and uh, there were a whole bunch of Sherpas and Nepalese came around him and they said, oh, Sir Edmund Hillary, Sir Edmund Hillary, can we have a photo, can we have a photo? And they all lined up for a photo and here's Sir Edmund Hillary, you know, this wonderful old man, proud as punch, having this photo taken. And then this professional climber started to walk past. And as he walked past, he noticed that Sir Edmund Hillary was holding the pickaxe incorrectly. So he went over and he said, don't hold it like that, hold it like this. And Sir Edmund Hillary in that moment could have done any number of things. In humility and in self-control, he adjusted his grip on the pickaxe and didn't say a single thing. Oh man, that's self-control. <laughs> I know what I would have done with that pickaxe. <laughs> Patient endurance. Charles Spurgeon says that by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> Any snails out here? Perseverance, snail. Endurance means getting through the trial without compromising or wavering. It's interesting, in my small group, we've become quite a mature group. Uh, three guys in the group are actually in their 60s. And... Uh, Man, the wisdom, but also their tenacity to just continue through the trials. Hearing about their lives and hearing about what they've been through. Man, perseverance, eh? Just keep getting up when you've been knocked down. I think that's a song. Uh, godliness, spiritual practices being God-focused. Fasting, reading the Word, meditating on the Word, praying, silence and solitude. Worship, confession. I want to challenge us this morning. I think of all the spiritual practices of being God-focused, I think the one that's probably missing the most from the Western church right now is fasting. Many people I talk to, I, I ask the question, hey, when was the last time you fast? fasted? And, uh, you know, we, we love adding to our life, but I really think God is actually calling the, the church in the West to, to fast silence and solitude to actually withdraw and eliminate some of the things for the spiritual practices that will allow us to get closer to God. Uh, Hudson Taylor was a missionary to, the, to China for, for 50 years. He said, in China, I found Christians who were accustomed to spending time in prayer and fasting. They recognized that this, that this fasting, which so many dislike, which requires faith in God, since it makes one feel weak and poorly, is really a divinely appointed means of grace. 
Perhaps the greatest hindrance of our work is our own imagined strength. And in fasting, we learn what poor and weak creatures we are, dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength which we are so apt to lean upon. I think there's a call for us to fast. Number seven, brotherly affection. What is brotherly affection? Brotherly affection is just what it says. Philadelphia, it's the affection of a family that comes with long familiarity and deep bonds. Of course, you can have squabbles and get mad and bully and pick up, pick on your brother, but family affection shows a powerful side. It's like one of our family members getting very sick or passing away, the, the tears that we will cry for that person. Or perhaps your brother or sister's been bullied, how that will make us feel that we will ultimately stand in the gap and sort them out. That's brotherly affection. And I want to say this, church, we could grow in this. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, Curate Church, and we could grow in our brotherly affection for one another wanting the best for one another, wanting to see each other succeed and do well, to be unified, to speak well of each other, to truly have affection for one another. I got beaten up at school really badly. What that guy didn't realise was that my older brother was the local policeman. My brother heard about me being beaten up. It's fair to say he caught up with him. I didn't get beaten up again. We didn't go and beat up everyone, but anyway, I know this is true. I don't think that story was helpful. (laughs) Love. Love. Love, it binds them all together. It's the chain. It's the sticky part. It's the glue. All of this, all of these things without love is nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth, that's a lot. But didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Man, we're called to love. We're called to be known by our love. We are called to will the very best for every single person we come in contact with. C.S. Lewis says, love is not God, but God is love. It is who He is, His very identity. And in a moment as we receive communion, my prayer for each and every one of us this morning, as we as we diligently, as we work, as we put effort in to confirming the call of God on our lives, I pray that each and every one of us would experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, that we will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God.